Welcome to Spotlight McCall, conversations with local luminaries on their inspiration, creativity, and vision. I'm Renee Silvis, and today I'm delighted to be sitting with Sherry Maupin. In 2015, I was so honored to be together in the inaugural Leadership Academy. I thought, oh, if Sherry's in this, I've arrived. One powerful memory I have is sitting in the bus having long conversations about our region. I love those. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's part including listening to Sherry's passion and commitment for creating opportunities. As a member of countless governing boards and a former banker, she knows how to connect funding to projects. With her husband, Fred, she's also operated a custom home building company for 35 years. Sherry recently revived her career in real estate and was appointed a Valley County Commissioner. So when I think about you, it's mostly about community building. Even as a banker, that's what you did. Let's go back. How did you get started in banking and real estate? What's the background to this person who we know today who's so involved in community in these capacities? Thank you for asking. I was born and raised in New Plymouth on a little uh, farm, 80 acres. And my parents, my mother was the very first uh, Safeway manager for her region. And my dad ran a Pacific Supply Co-op in Ontario or farmer supply co-op. So we always had a lot of responsibility as children on the farm. You're a farm and girl. I'm a farm girl, Idahoan, wow. through and through. And so when I left home, I loved school. I was very involved in school. I was a cheerleader. I was actually, that's where I started leadership classes and training was in high school because I ran the Future Homemakers of America program, the FHA program when I was a junior for New Plymouth and then was state chapter president in my senior year. You know, this is interesting. People probably don't imagine you as a cheerleader and as a home economics, homemaker kind of person. That's all I ever thought I wanted to do. Love it. Was stay home and raise a family. <laughs> Went to college and quickly realized a little girl from New Plymouth wasn't comfortable even at Boise State during that time. I just never fit into the whole um, idea of college, I guess. So I've never had a degree. So I've done everything I've done just from personal experience. Wow. How uh, about that? You, you became a banker without a degree in finance. Twice. Um, mm -hmm. Rose to the top of branch management twice. Be and I think that's just because I connect with people mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, I hope that people trust me. And that's what banking is all about is having a relationship with someone that they feel like they can trust you with their finances. So that kind of started it. But when I moved to Boise then, I went into the grocery business like my mother and check groceries. And I met my husband, Fred, when I was 19. So we'd only known each other 10 months and got married. And his dad was a banker at that time and was a senior vice president for Idaho First National Bank. And so Fred goes, you know, instead of the grocery business, why don't you go into banking? So I applied at that bank and two other banks and actually got hired on with, back then it was Bank of Idaho, which was not where dad was, but we started into the banking business. And Fred's grandfather was with First Security. So we had a lot of banking background in the family. So we had great opportunities to share together the differences in our banks and fight mm -hmm. through that competitive spirit Love <laughs> banking when we were young. Now, did you have an affinity for finances or numbers? or No, I huh. hated math. Did not like it at all. But the job that I loved the most was being the very first job that I had as a teller. I loved working with people. I'm very social. And so I love talking to people and their experiences and learning about their families and, and just worked my way up through the bank. And maybe I have an affinity for working with others because I've always been collaborative in nature and so I was never really competitive with people. Mm -hmm. So I was able to bring people along to ideas and build teamwork. So the teamwork part of it was really important. So I got started in banking at 18 and retired the first time at 34. I think this is so instructive for people that you can find a path in a way that maybe you don't anticipate or predict who knew that someone with who doesn't even like math could go this way because you love people? Right. That's inspiring. Yeah. And it wasn't always easy. I had a lot to learn, very uphill learning curve, because eventually when I was in branch management, um, I had to do lending. And lending is something that's taught normally in college. And so mm -hmm. I had to do my own learning curve. 
and work with others to, to learn that process. So And people in the bank were happy to teach you. Absolutely. I never had an issue with people, you know, not being very supportive in what I was doing. During my first time in banking, we had a very strong CEO and was heavily engaged in the Boise market. And so her name was Nancy, and Nancy encouraged all of us to become community supporters. And so through the management program, I actually went to work with United Way and left my bank for three months, went and became a loaned executive and learned all about nonprofits in Boise and how to help finance them. So and you so, entered into nonprofits and public service in a way through the, through banking. Yes. That's an ethic in the banking world that maybe people don't know about. Absolutely. And actually, it's legal in the banking world that banks have to give back. The Community mm -hmm. Reinvestment Act mm -hmm. requires you to do community service and to provide loans to low-income people and to, to interact with the community actually in, in a legal way. That's perfect so, for you yes. and who you are. Yes. That was a, a perfect configuration of requirements for Sherry. Yes, absolutely. And I loved it. I loved, I, I don't always like asking people for money, but I was, I loved the United Way concept mm -hmm. of going out and introducing who our nonprofit community is and asking for support from the community. And Boise during that time, it was growing the United Way project and it was fabulously successful. And so I went back and ran the United Way program for uh, then it was First Interstate Bank. We'd gone from Bank of Idaho to First Interstate Bank. So that really was a way to interact with the community in a different way. I had two young children, and it was extremely time-consuming, and our home-building business was very busy. So I left banking after 15 years and then got to stay home for seven years. And use those homemaking skills. I did. And actually, I used a lot of my banking skills because I quickly found that I could only exercise so much and I could only bake so many cookies. <laughs> and my kids were then in school and I, I was really thankful that I was able to engage with them because I was able to help them with their homework and you know all of their social interaction. Did Fred's company need your skills? He did. I did all of his books mm -hmm. and uh, actually ran the home building company for a number of years while he was running the framing company because we had five framing crews during that time. So wow. very busy. And I'm imagining you still stay involved in other community projects where you brought those skills in, like the PTO or? So what I did was started a volunteer program in, in the Middleton School District. Uh, at that moment in time, they didn't really have a lot of interaction with volunteers. So we started an art program. We started a newsletter. We started bringing people into the classroom to help just even reading. And uh, so we built a very strong volunteer network. And Middleton also was far enough away from Boise and everywhere else. The kids didn't really have a lot to do. There wasn't a lot of uh, funding in the community. But we saw a vision for a recreation district. So I started a Middleton Parks and Recreation District along with about five other people, I guess. We were able to trade some ground with the school district that they owned in the downtown core. It was an acre and it was just filled with goat heads and that type of thing. So we converted that to their very first soccer and baseball park and soccer at that time was just kicking off so I took over the soccer program and I ran a soccer program while I was off also and I was soccer mom and we got soccer into the high school and so that was huge accomplishments while I was in Middleton mm -hmm. and since I was so engaged I ran for the school board in Middleton so I actually have six years on a school board that was from 2000 to 2006 a lot of changing times in education that was very informative thoroughly enjoyed my time doing that. But by that time, I was done and needed to move on. So I love how all of this background, I'm thinking about what you've done in our community and how the confluence of all these different interests and abilities and things you participated in led you here. How did you and Fred end up coming to McCall then? So one of the things I was doing was planning a zoning commissioner also in Canyon County. Canyon also County. Canyon County mm -hmm. planning. And during that time, I really wanted to run for public office, but just about the time I was going to run for Canyon County Commissioner, uh, the market fell out. Mm -hmm. So the kids were already gone. We had both of our boys off doing other things, and Fred and I looked at each other, and we were home builders and real estate agents, and no market left at all. So we said, you know what? We've always wanted to live in McCall or Cascade, Valley County. Let's go. 
there's nothing going on here. Let's just go find out what our passion. You took the downturn as an opportunity. Absolutely. Yep. Love it. Looked forward and we um, had been building a home and came up. We lived in that home. It was outside of Cascade. And then I got the job at the bank. And Fred Idaho worked First Bank. at Idaho First Bank, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Fred went to work for Brundage because he loves to ski. And that was just something that, you know, he found to do that he absolutely loved. Look at how well you landed. You yeah. took that risk and you landed on both feet. You both got awesome jobs. Yeah, we did. It was um, always going to be kind of a just a career after our careers, you know. But I quickly found out that I really... I can't just have a career. I really need to help in other ways. Mm-hmm. And Idaho First Bank was struggling at that moment in time. So I found my footing and figured out how I could help the bank be successful. Mm-hmm. And Financially or in the community? Both. Both. Because it, in my opinion, for any bank, it's integrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't have a community bank without being an integral part of the community. So that bank, you had the job of somehow being a community liaison. Tell us about your job at the bank. It was so unique. And I was very thankful. The bank kind of built my path for me. But I started out as a customer relationship manager. Most people think of it as a teller. Went into new accounts, um, started some marketing because they didn't have anybody to manage their website. So I started a website and quickly moved up and became the branch manager and did all types of loans. I did residential loans for a year. I did some small commercial lending. I did uh, just consumer lending. And then the ABC project happened, the America's Best Communities Project. And I was quickly overwhelmed with managing everything and the America's Best Communities Project. So Greg Lovell, the CEO, said, you know, we really feel that this is something that our community should do and be engaged in. So would you like a job that would be marketing-based, not having to manage the branch, and be able to have the time and the energy to do the ABC project? The cheerleader in you came up and did a big raw and said, this is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly what I want to do. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So I went out and uh, marketed the bank and engaged with people on a local level so that, uh, you know, banking all has a face. And by then, I was starting to be well-known in the community. Mm -hmm. And so I was the community banker around town engaging in different projects and helping things ignite. That's what I loved about watching you and seeing everything you were doing. In some way, that helped the bank. By you being the face of the bank out there and creating trust among people, did it work for the bank? Did they become more successful? Absolutely. How about that? (laughs) We probably, um, I think we grew about 50% Mm. from the time that I was out in the community. I was the business development officer. I can't even remember exactly what my title was. Chief deposit officer. That's you were out was. in the community, though, doing a lot of things. I was. So at that moment in time, again, my background is I look to the community and say, how can I help the community in the most impactful way with my skill set? And so the Chamber of Commerce was struggling at that moment in time and needed new leadership. And I feel like the chamber is always, it's always a rock solid part of a community because it's the businesses speaking with government and their visitors. So I was treasurer for the chamber for a couple years and then took over presidency. And I think I was president for three years. And during that time, we hired new staff. We actually went to the community to look for the leaders that we needed at the table to actually make important decisions for the chamber. Instead of just allowing people to run at that moment in time, we didn't, we didn't have elections back then. We actually had people that were willing to serve on the chamber because we had to go out and beg people, come and work with us. From that, we were able to build a very strong team, create a new vision for the future, and hire the appropriate help that we needed, and start having elections where people were actually competing to be on the chamber board. So that was really an important time and change in the community. So that was important for you. You really got in there and made the chamber stronger. Richard Jao from Frontier was the vice, and we were both on the same path. So Richard and I spent a lot of time and energy making sure that the chamber was successful. What was your vision for the chamber? What did you want? So I see a chamber, and I still do, that is a voice for the people that live here and a voice for the business community. So that as 
change happens in any community, the chamber has a voice uh, for that change and to be a part of that change. And the vision for the future, I would love to see them have a, a um, visitors bureau. We kind of integrated those two things together. This area deserves a visitors bureau, you know, inviting people into the community and helping to share those things. A chamber is actually very different in that it trains business owners. It helps business owners be very successful. That was something that we kind of integrated together. But I see those two things separating someday and being a bigger part of the community as our community grows. You know, I think I came on in 2015 maybe or 14, and I loved it. I loved going to the chamber events. I liked, I still enjoy being a part of it. They seem to be advocating for the community as a whole and for businesses. And you were part of bringing some of those structures into the chamber that, that the chamber yes. exists for everyone. Yes. And we had some great people that stepped onto the board in mm. moments that we really needed them. At the time that um, I started, we were doing a little um, handbook, just a business directory. And I went on vacation to Bend and came back with a book that spoke about Bend. And Ian Williams had gone to, I think it was Coeur d'Alene. And at the same time, we both were bringing back materials going, this is what we need to do for this area. And so we started the, the chamber book that comes mm -hmm. out and brought on some great people. Brundage provided their key marketing person, April, mm -hmm. and she is amazing. And Mackenzie stepped up and became a part of that also. And so we have a, a truly unique way that we communicate with visitors. So when you created an opportunity that was exciting and visionary, people showed up for it. Yes. People showed up with the skill set you needed, who share the vision and the energy. Yes. I, I am a big picture thinker, so I bring ideas. I see you in that way as the yeah. visionary. Yeah. I normally am thinking 25 years and trying to plan for the future. So the America's Best Communities, there was a lot of vision in that and implementation. What do you see as the outcome of that? So the America's Best Communities uh, came from the Frontier Communications Network, and Richard brought it to the table and said, this is an opportunity to provide economic development for this area and a plan for the future. And so we began that task. I actually was not a vital part of the very first group that actually did it. Uh, my time mm -hmm. at the bank was just, it was so compromised at that moment, I didn't have time. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of important people at the table to bring the very first vision along and to provide the first application. Chamber staff together with, um, I think it was called the community development team. And they did the first application. And we thought, if we get something, great. So we got word that we'd won $50,000 and that we had the chance to go to the next level. So then I engaged heavily. We took that $50,000 and actually created an economic development plan for the region and took that plan. It actually ended up winning national awards and state awards. And we took those, those funds and really built a strong plan for the future. So with that plan, we went on to the next level, won $100,000 and completed that plan. So we had some ideas the first rounds, we completed mm -hmm. that plan on the second. So we still have that plan in place that is driving a lot of our economic vision for the future. For example? So there were six outcomes that we looked at and things that we knew that we need in order to be successful as a regional community. And it's centered around housing, jobs and infrastructure, um, educational needs, healthcare needs, wellness. So those six principles developed um, into, well, one of the very first things we did was brand ourselves as the West Central Mountains, Idaho's Adventure Quarter. So those six principles ended up being the foundational legs of the West Central Mountains Community Foundation. It actually helped to inform the Stibnite Foundation and they're uh, off and running but a lot of the principles that came out of the America's Best Communities contest are what informed that foundation. Community Foundation is kind of on hold since we've been trying to figure out what the other foundation is going to do and so there is still, we are still a 501c3, we're just kind of on hold until some other things fall into place. But what I would love to see, so the United Way asked people, will you contribute to the success of, our, of the people of our community? Provide that platform of financial foundation that is required for any community to be successful. 
I would love to take that to our community foundation and say, would you be willing to give $10 out of every paycheck and give it to the community foundation? Would you be willing as a business community to support at a $1,000 level every year and then help fund our nonprofits? So wow. it would be an amazing opportunity for us as a region to put our mm -hmm. money where our needs are. So it's kind of a central clearinghouse for people to contribute, and then they disperse the money according to the needs of local nonprofits. That's correct. Okay. So that's something all in your vision for the future. For the future, yes. All based around those six principles that we worked so hard on for the America's Best Community. So when I was in North Carolina accepting the award for the ABC, all of the communities that were back there, and we went from 350 communities to top eight, so I was able at the last round to talk to about, I think there was 20 communities in the room, and all of them were shocked that we don't have community foundations here. Every single one of those, what we would call a county, mm -hmm. they have different names for them, but every one of them have a community foundation. And as people that are philanthropic give, they give to that community foundation, ran by their local government, and those funds then are used for the needs of the community. Do you think we don't have that because we have so many nonprofits already? There's plenty of opportunities to give. All of our existing nonprofits kind of take the place of that. The people that settled Idaho were very independent mm -hmm. and didn't always trust government. Mm -hmm. And I think giving the money to government, they don't necessarily trust. The East was based, you know, in a different history than we had. Sure. And so even today in my government role, I am sensing the lack of government. I mean, I just don't think people trust government. Mm -hmm. And so if the foundation is managed by the local governments, they have a concern with that. Now, you saw this. You were up against this with the Recreation District. Yes. You saw that distrust, and you worked really hard on getting that to pass, and it didn't. I thought you managed that with so much graciousness. Can you say more about why you think we need the Rec District, what happened, and moving forward? So I believe that we are a society that believes in wellness, wellness programs, mm -hmm. and being healthy. And in our community? In our community. And that's why people move here. They mm -hmm. are a lot of outdoor enthusiasts. Right. You know, we have a very healthy community. Recreation and is part of our branding. It is part of our branding. Not everyone can get out and enjoy the big mm -hmm. outdoors. So we have a lot of children that are socioeconomically divided from the rest, where their family cannot afford to send them to the little ski hill or to send them to the ice rink. And those are really the two things that kids have to do here. And they're expensive. And they're very expensive. And our senior population. So as we age in place here, a lot of us can no longer continue to go out to the trail network. We don't snow bike and, and snowmobile and all of those and things. And did you see that report last week? St. Luke's did this. The top concerns now are obesity and mental health. Yes. So our senior population, especially our super seniors, are just housebound. A super senior, Sherry? Yes. <laughs> I might be a senior, but we have super seniors out there too. They are housebound. Yeah. We have icy sidewalks. There is no place to go for them to walk and engage with other people in a healthy environment. We do have the senior center, and actually it's a community center now, mm -hmm. and they get a chance to go there, but still, you have to either be able to walk there or drive there. You know, transportation is an issue to get there. So my vision was that we would create a space where, first of all, we could be multi-generational. We could have a place for kids and seniors to interact together. Swimming is one of the greatest things that you can do for your body as you move forward. So a swimming pool for young families. There really is nothing here for most young families. And we are losing people out of this population that would love to stay here but can't envision a future. They don't see it for their family. There's nothing for them to do. And so they're going to more populous places where there's a why, you know, and those types of facilities available to them. So the recreation district was centered on a recreation center, a place to, as I listen to the kids, I, I feel for them. I started a recreation district down in Middleton because they had no place to play. They have no place to play up here. We are growing population. Kids are throwing balls inside the halls at the high school because they do not have enough recreational assets available to them to be able to go outside and play the way they should. Yeah, the track team runs down the hallway for their practices. Yes. Yeah. The baseball team goes clear to Riggins to practice yeah. three, four, five times a week. Field House Recreation Center, that's what you were really wanting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
The trail network is something that I think economically will be a huge asset for this region. And it is moving forward. And it's a little more glamorous, it seems. That's something people can get behind. It brings visitors. It's mm -hmm. been proven all over the country. People that provide trail networks, and I don't care if it's summer or what, yeah. winter recreation, it brings people to the location. They come and spend money, and they go home. It doesn't impact our schools. Our businesses benefit from those opportunities mm -hmm. when people mm -hmm. are here. And it is year-round, so it's not highlighting just the 4th of July or Winter Carnival. And there's some momentum around that here. There is. Yeah. And so people have taken that challenge and are moving it forward. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it was strictly because of the conversation around the rec district. It certainly has been expanded because of that. People understand mm -hmm. exactly how important that is. So there's a positive outcome of the recreation district proposal is that we're thinking about it. Thinking Absolutely. Also, um, in my government work, it has made me realize that our easements onto the National Forest have been compromised. Throughout the state of Idaho, they are finding that easements that they thought had been legal and in place were not. Now, that's interesting. How do we fix that? We have people working on it now. Okay. So people are actually, um, some of our planning team and legal team have gone mm -hmm. to easement classes so that we make sure they're written correctly. Uh, Valley County Recreation Director has spent time and energy with the private landowners developing relationships so that we can actually build trust together so that we can reopen roads that have been gated off, so that we can reopen trail networks that have been closed. Oh, I hear everybody cheering. Yeah, so we are working collaboratively with that right now. We mm -hmm. just had a meeting with the Wilkes Brothers, and we are looking at doing some road exchanges so that we can actually put them back into a public road access. So, so here's an example of the government working with private citizens and nonprofits to solve a problem. Absolutely, yes. So you're hopefully generating some trust in government. You're making progress on something that's been an issue in our community for a couple of years now. Absolutely. Specific progress. You're, you're finding the easements. You're talking with people. Yes. What can we expect? I believe that we will take some of those roads back into the public network and so that we actually have better access points into the forest okay. that we've actually lost. The other thing that we're doing, um, this goes into now my commissioner job. <laughs> Right. So I'm bringing all of these, these <laughs> things together. Is this why you together. wanted to be commissioner? I've it, been wondering, why does Sherry want this job? Yeah. Do you know, I, I wanted it clear back when I was looking at Canyon County and the growth issues there. Mm -hmm. I had spent time and energy. I was a real estate agent. I knew how much uh, growth was headed for that community. It had been envisioned already, and no one was planning for it. And again, there's my 25-year thought process. I'm a planner into the future. I wanted to help our regional community plan mm -hmm. for the future and look at all of the issues that we're going to have that are going to come at us and are. We have a lot of different personalities moving to the region from different places. We need a, uh, people in a leadership capacity that can bring all personality types together to envision a future that is sustainable for our region. That's really why I wanted to do it. So you're looking at your ability to meet with the public, your capacity as a team builder, that was a more important value set for you and more important for you than working with any negativity or distrust. You feel like you can even solve some of the problems that people have with the interface with government. Absolutely. And so tell us about <laughs> so, what you're doing and are you enjoying it? Is it worth it? You bet. I really am enjoying it. So when I came on board, we expanded the hours of the commissioners a little bit. And I am there all day on Monday and all day on Wednesday. And Dave Bigman is there on Mondays and Tuesdays. Elta's there uh, Mondays and Thursdays. So we always have a commissioner in the building to help resolve issues. And you're all there on Mondays, so you can talk to each other. We're all, all there on Mondays, yes. Mm -hmm. That's one of the learning curves I've had. So with only three commissioners, the open meeting law, you can't talk with each other outside of the public uh, uh -huh. hearing. So in order to resolve issues, we have to have them in a public setting and sometimes that's not always the best way to do things, but it is what we have. That is our system of government. Mm. So No secrets. No secrets. We have to be very transparent, yeah. and that's a good thing. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm learning about that. Most people don't understand there are nine elected officials in Valley County, the three commissioners, but then we also have an elected coroner, treasurer, public defender, sheriff, clerk, and which one am I missing? Anyway, we have six. So... 
there are a lot of divisions within county governments that have their own missions. They're all trying to do the right thing for Valley County, but I think that the true role of the commissioner is bringing all of those people together and having one Valley County vision so that everyone is working in the same path. My role when I stepped on was immediately starting a strategic plan. We have put together a group of individuals that are all fabulous county employees, all wanting to do uh, great work for the future and wanting to envision what that, that future looks like and overcome obstacles before they happen. So we have been working now collaboratively. We're almost through the first phase of the strategic plan. What's in a strategic plan? What are the areas? So we look at all the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. We do SWOT analysis and we look at historically what have we been really proud of mm. and what do we need to change. And so we have come up with I call it a visioning word, but it's really our guiding principle is called STAR. It's success, transparent, responsive, and accountable. Not in that order, <laughs> S-T-A-R. <laughs> and so we're now using that as where we're going to build our strategy for the future. So right now we're looking at all of the strengths that we own and the threats that are coming at us to figure out what strengths we can use to overcome that. Things like we provide outstanding customer service. People love us. So it's really strengths within county People. government. And so our strengths are new leadership. I, I hope that the employees are happy that I'm there. Dave Bingham and I are both new this last year. And so new opportunity for ideas. So what strengths within the government itself that we can use? Okay. But yes, housing is one that we need to overcome. Cybersecurity is huge in government right now. Uh, other counties in Idaho have already been hacked and have lost all of their network. So we're working extensively on computer software upgrades and looking at our our security to make sure that not only our is our physical presence uh, secured but also so is our internet we just recently established security measures at the courthouse in order to protect and defend our employees all over the country we've had terrible experiences so we're working on that to make sure we protect our employees so we're working on that we had a building failure in the last two weeks which has highlighted the need for a capital improvement plan. We have a hundred-year-old building that has an old boiler in it with old pipes that broke, created a water environment in our assessor and DMV office down there, so they have mold. And so we are cleaning that up right now, taking care of it, but we have displaced those uh, agencies to different locations in the building. But again, it's a hundred-year-old building, and there's a lot of challenges there. Not the things you thought you would be working on. Not at all. So the things that county commissioners <laughs> do, and people have no idea really what it is, but yes, it is budget in nature. We set the budget for the county and then make sure everybody's adhering to that budget. So my banking background has been very helpful there. I understand the financial part of things. We oversee the, what we call it is the MRF, but it's the, what do they call it? <laughs> the landfill, basically. So we are overseeing the transfer site and working on recycling programs and dealing with issues there. We work extensively with the Forest Service since we are such heavily forested area. We are looking at our road agreements with them. They're called FERTA documents and how the forest being good neighbors together, how we impact each other. We work on the grooming program for the county. For, so economic development is a large part of what we do and envision for the future. We work on growth issues. We are the Board of County Commissioners, so we have to oversee all of the planning and zoning decisions. People can appeal to us if they don't like the decision that was made. So we hear a lot of public testimony on what's happening in our region on a planning and zoning level. We also oversee the valuations. The assessor actually sets valuations for the county, and so we have to oversee that and become the board of equalization when people don't like the value on their property that was given by the assessor. So we can actually hear those, I guess, complaints and also help resolve those issues. Your background as a banker and a realtor is coming in handy here. Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. um, I understand what it is to develop so I understand all of the significant things that we need to look for in development as we move forward. So let's see what else do we do. <laughs> we oversee um, the clerk's office oversees the elections but we canvass and approve all of the elections. Oh that's a big deal now. Yes it is mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, just bought all new election equipment so that it cannot be hacked so that somebody cannot take it over you know that we have true and objective mm -hmm. elections. There's so many things. We oversee the building 
department, and so therefore anything that's happening in building codes changes. We just are right now working on new ordinances for our short-term rentals because of the issue that we had down in Donnelly where CO2 emissions mm -hmm. are becoming mm -hmm. a big deal. So we're making sure that, I guess that you could call it the safety and protection of the residents. That's one of the things we do. One of our main things is building roads and maintaining road infrastructure, which right now we have funding mechanisms that have dried up, and so we're looking at funding opportunities with that um, and holding public forums for that. That was one of the things I was adamant about, is we need to hold public forums and get input from the community on the big items that we need. I've noticed those have been increasing. That's because you've asked for them. Are people attending them? They are. There was about 30 people in okay. McCall opportunity for people to come and visit because you want transparency and you want to be face-to-face -face with people you want to communicate with people that's who you are you want to hear what the community has to say absolutely yeah. and if you disagree with me I'm fine with that we all have different visions for the future mm -hmm. but I want to explain why I have made the decisions that I make what the vision is to see if we can find compromise it seems like you're always explaining your vision to people that's I a am. <laughs> big part. As a visionary, yeah. you have to bring that down to earth in concrete terms for people. Yes. And it can be very, I know that it can be intimidating. And I don't mean for it to be because I'm not ever trying to take somebody else's job. Never trying to impact somebody else's opportunity also to find success. But I, I feel at times there's pushback against a long-term vision because as human beings, we're too used to looking at our feet to make sure we don't trip today instead of looking at the horizon to make sure we're headed the right direction. And so I'm constantly encouraging people, look up, you know, look out, and we do need to worry about today. However, if, if we're not planning for the future, then we're not making good decisions based upon the correct direction. I think it's a yes and. Yes, this is important now in the moment, and let's look forward. And I also see it as the lean. Like leaning into the future, leaning into the vision, leaning into more of a world-centric vision. Because sometimes we do get caught up in being ethnocentric, what's mm -hmm. good for me right now. And you're inviting us into the lean. Let's yes. lean into the future. And do it together. Okay. Our, our community, the largest issues that we have right now, people are screaming at each other instead of planning with each other how to make impact and how to make a change. So right now, unfortunately, in our country, we are so divided as a populace that we forget that we probably have 75% of everything we believe in. We believe the same. The same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is those fringe things that we think about that divide us. So let's not spend our energy and time there, but let's spend our energy and time on the things that we can do together to make a difference to protect ourselves for the future. So having conversations, inviting people to the conversation, let's figure this out together. Yes. What's been surprising to you about being commissioner or sort of unexpected? Um, learning the organization, you know, having those nine mm -hmm. elected officials. I don't, I can't go to any of those elected officials and go, I really don't like the way that this is running. You know, we need to make change. Um, they can just tell me, I'm sorry, this is my division. I'm elected also. So I don't choose to hear from you right now on this. So, and, and not that I'm saying that that happens at all because we really do have a really great team. However, there is differences of opinion in the way things should run. And so that, that's been intriguing to me. And again, I think the commissioners should be people that are in a leadership capacity to bring people along. Something goes wrong, however, in any of those departments, we're the ones that hear about it because we have the most public presence mm -hmm. than the other ones. So you want to invite people, even on the in the government, you want to invite them as well into your vision. Let's look forward. We're just not talking about the public. We're also talking about public officials you're working with to invite into that conversation. Absolutely. Um, and I believe that we as a region actually impact all. To me, um, McCall, Donnelly, and Cascade are separate entities. They all have their own flavor. However, if we're not envisioning together success, then I feel like it's going to take a lot longer to find success. So you want to see the different municipalities in our region communicating more, collaborating more. You think we'll be more successful that way? Absolutely. How do we do that? So, and I think it goes to the point that like Donnelly doesn't have maybe all of the professionals available to them because financially they just can't. So they look to Cascade and they look to McCall for those. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're really good about sharing things. But I think the regional forums that we hold always inform us. 
the business summit that we started has always informed us about what's happening together as the region and how we can help each other. The Economic Business Summit yes. in October? Yes. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I feel like it's a big regional party. It is. Get to see everybody, get to hear about what's going on. It's just, it's a big party. Yeah. And it's a time that we all focus on successes mm -hmm. and what we need to do going forward. So you're wanting so, to see more things like that? Yes. I think that anytime we can, that we need to plan regionally. Mm -hmm. I was very excited. Um, McCall just reached out about a regional housing conversation. Uh, they did just start their own housing trust within, I think they started their own housing trust anyway, a housing committee. Housing is a need that cannot be solved in McCall alone. It's too expensive here. We really need our sister cities, and I consider those to be New Meadows, Donnelly, and Cascade, in order to provide housing for the employees that actually are going to be working in McCall. That is one area that I think regionally we will find housing success. I don't think any one community can do it on their own. We have to work together. Yes. Is that something government can participate in? And can you help guide that in your capacity? I think that there are ways that we can, most particularly. Um, I just went down to the Idaho Association of Counties. And through that conversation, we found that housing is a huge issue throughout the state. So we had a legislative evening where all the legislators come, and that was my first conversation with them. Please fund the state housing trust. And so we actually speak one-on-one, -on -one, and that is part of our responsibilities, is following legislation and following what it is that we can do and impact at the state level. So as a commissioner, you're a liaison between the community and even the state government. Absolutely. You have found a way to do that. Absolutely. Nice job, Sherry. Yeah. It's really important. <laughs> Uh, there is, right now, they're looking at property tax legislation that will kill our budget. And so we have been in constant communication with our representatives to say, you know, we can do this and be able to make this work. Let's not do this because this will kill our, our budget. And so we have been formulating ideas, sharing with them as Association of Counties ideas that can be taken forward. So you're advocating for the county and the, and the people who reside here. You're advocating for us. Absolutely. On the state level. Absolutely. Thank you. This is another job you had that maybe you didn't know you would have. Correct. I didn't realize to the depth. Um, so I've been, I just spent a lot of time with the transportation conversation and working with others on how funding is happening for transportation. We know that we have roads that need to be fixed. We're looking at collaboration tools at the state level to try and, and put more money into transportation funding. The other thing, and I did not vote on this, but I did have a part of the conversation, the county just hired a grant writer because there are huge grants available to counties for things like transportation and infrastructure. And without that focus of a grant writer, we were not able to take advantage of that. So we have hired a grant writer and we've also hired a public relations firm. Uh, Mackenzie Christensen is going to go ahead and take on our public relations so that we're actually informing community members because mm -hmm. that is one thing I don't think government does well. I think City McCall is doing a better job. Uh, Aaron over there is great. And I think that getting the word out about what we are working on, whether we need help and support, or if we need to know in their feedback, uh, it's a feedback loop. Because if we're going to trust our government, we have to know what our government is doing. That's correct. Accurately. Yes. So that's what you're all about now. Yes. It's an informational tool. We have to talk together, mm -hmm. and we need somebody to help us be able to do that. Where priorities? Where is our region going? What do you see as our priorities? What should we be talking about? I think that me as a commissioner, my first job was to help the employees design a plan for the future then we need to take that plan out to the communities. We have a comprehensive plan. We need to be able to talk with the public more. Mm -hmm. We need to bring the public conversation in mm -hmm. because of that mm -hmm. distrust. So I, I feel like my priority is building trust between government and community. So again, as these big items come up, we're talking together. We're not screaming at each other. We're not always going to agree on what is appropriate for the future. But let's inform each other on our points of view so that maybe we can learn from each other mm -hmm. and decide together what it looks like. That's my first priority. My second priority is making sure that we have a plan in place for the capital improvements. Um, you don't want your office flooded? No. <laughs> I, you know, it's not even about my office. It's about taking care of our employees. Some of these employees have health issues now. 
and so they're not feeling well. And we have to provide a safe, secure spot where employees feel like they are valued, mm -hmm. their opinions are valued, and that they can be successful where they're at. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a physical environment also. And you're looking at the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of Absolutely. retroactive. Absolutely. You're looking at your infrastructure, our infrastructure. These are public buildings yes. that you want to repair yes. or replace. The other thing I'm looking at is just making sure that we have all of the policies and procedures in place that we need in order to make sure that employees understand what their job commitments are, what they're supposed to be responsible for every day, what the mm -hmm. policy is if something happens, and then share that with the public. Right now we have a lot of, again, different personalities moving into the region. We are getting a lot of requests for county to come and plow a road that is a groomer's trail. And that is not going to happen. We're not going to change our entire grooming program because one person decided to move up on that road. So through leadership, I think the county commissioners are responsible for finding solutions to issues without litigation. Because litigation is becoming more and more prevalent in our mm -hmm. world. And unfortunately, that is the first thing we hear from people. Well, I will just sue you. And that is something we need to overcome. That's not part of our regional values. So as you move into the region and join us, you know, I hope that they feel like they have a voice. We're and going we to have a help. conversation. We are. Yes. Over a cup of coffee, not in a courtroom. <laughs> yeah, if at all possible. Yes. You know, if we have to defend the rights of all, then we will do that. So part of your looking ahead, this 20-year, 25-year vision, you're looking to prevent problems. Yes. You have your eye on, let's prevent something from happening in a range of places. Absolutely. Hmm. So one of the conversations that we've been having, which I find is fascinating, is the snowmobile parking. Hmm. The snowmobile program has grown to the point where we now have really unsafe conditions on Warren Wagon Road when people go up and want to enjoy their snowmobile. So what is the plan for the future? It's not going to stop. It's not going to change. We either not need to buy new snowmobile parking lots and expand the program into different areas of the region, which is a conversation with a lot of different people, or how do we provide opportunities in the future? Same thing happens at the Cabarton Boat Launch. People there now, it's absolutely an activity center, but there is no future plan for expansion. So we have to think about those things before they hit us, and they're already hitting us. There's a lot for you to look at. Wow. <laughs> wow. A lot more than I thought. Well, we haven't even touched on the fact that I'm on the mental health board. We have people on the Central District Health Board. We mm -hmm. have people on the Payette Forest Coalition, the Boise Forest Coalition. We are on... 26 different committees representing different points of view on everything that we do. Are you on this mental health board in the capacity as county commissioner or just yes. as a citizen? Yes. So county commissioner. Yeah. So the mental health board has actually been uh, formulated by the governor. Governor Little is looking at mental health in Idaho and mm. realizing that we have a huge opioid crisis here in Idaho also. The mental health board is looking at how we provide appropriate facilities and opportunities for people to get the counseling that they need, you know, be able to overcome substance abuse. Mm -hmm. Our coroner told us that last year we had 10 people die of opioid addiction here in Valley County. That's a really scary number. And so I'm on the Valley County Opioid Response, V Corp, is a group specifically in Valley County to look at how to overcome this. We need to start at the ground level. We need to start informing kids about uh, how they can find success without turning to drugs, alcohol, and medication addiction, and how to overcome that. It is a very tall order, yeah, but there. if we don't have people at the table willing to have the conversation, and we have some amazing people up here that are willing to work on this. Yeah, and St. Luke's has an eye on it. Yes, they do. So they're mm -hmm. at the table also. Those are all different areas. So you, it's such a diverse window of what we have to cover. And that could end up being a priority in ways you weren't expecting or didn't really want. And following all the legislation behind that to making sure that we are informing legislators mm -hmm. of how it will impact our county. So what would you like people to know to close this up or to have conversations about? I think, first of all, how we can trust our government. What is it that you know, that makes you distressful so that we can actually bring that to light, answer the questions needed, and be transparent for the future. So asking people to look at that in themselves, yes. what in you is distressful and can you look at that objectively and yes. see if you can 
find a way to shift that. Yes. And a lot of times when I hear conversations that are not correct or true, so I'm asking people, please find out what is correct before you spread the rumor or spread misinformation. You see that a lot, don't you? Absolutely. Facebook is a huge tool to get the word out about things. The, and The correct word. The correct word. However, uh, <laughs> in people's response, they are not informed, and that's what I'm finding out. It's very difficult to communicate if in this area with just a newspaper once a week. So we have to do a better job about getting the word out. Mm -hmm. So I'm asking people to think about that, but also really challenging people to engage in a way that is, is transformational and not combative on every issue. So come with an open mind, listen to all opinions in a room, and try and inform yourself as best as possible. So if you have people with two entirely different viewpoints, you know that somewhere in the middle we can meet but you're not gonna get your way on everything, nor is the next person. So instead of being combative, let's find a way to resolve our issues together and plan for the future. You're inviting people to listen, yes. to be a little more objective, to consider the points of view of others as being valid, to negotiate, to have conversations. Absolutely. Mm, thank you. How can people reach you? So I have a, web, or a Facebook page, Sherry Moppin for Valley County. And I have a work cell phone number that is 208-315-5107. You can get me on my email, smoppin at co.valley.id.us. And one of the very first things I did was ask to change the email addresses. So we are going to a new email platform because it's too hard for people to remember. Mm -hmm. We need to be more user-friendly. Office okay. hours, 8 to 5 on Mondays. Mm -hmm. I try and be there 8 to 5 on Wednesdays. However, I have a lot of meetings on Wednesdays too, so I'm coming and going. Always happy to schedule an appointment with someone to meet with them wherever they are. I am so grateful that you're here in our community. Thank you for asking me to speak about it. I'm really excited. You're welcome, Sherry. I'm Renee Silvis with Spotlight McCall. Thank you for listening today. Now go and find some inspiration.